Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. We are at the fifth Sunday in the Epiphany season in year B. Our series is called From the River to the Mountain. We're following our Savior from his baptism to the Mount of Transfiguration and observing him along the way. Today, the theme of our uh, Sunday is the devil's work undone. We got that a little bit last week with Jesus casting out an impure spirit out of a man. And today we return again to his power over the devil, uh, but from a new angle and uh, taking, uh, instead of a gospel selection, one of the epistles. Our uh, preachers for this series, Pastor Phil Kasmer from Christ the Lord in Brookfield, Wisconsin, and Pastor John Bordelin from St. John's in McQuanago, Wisconsin. Also with us today is P Professor Bill Tackmeyer from the seminary. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. So thank you all for taking part in our podcast today. Um, Phil, could we begin with you with just a quick summary of this Sunday's theme in our Epiphany series? Uh, so <clears throat> you said it already, John, the devil's work undone. We're on that Epiphany transition or travel from uh, the river of Jesus' baptism to the mountain, his transfiguration and glory. And throughout its epiphanies and epiphanies, its revelations from God about who Jesus is. Uh, and then also it gives us opportunity to think about who we are. I'll get a bit of both in the second lesson that we have today. Uh, but probably in all our readings, uh, the theme of the day is the devil's work undone comes out in that uh, we have a dangerous foe. In the gospel, Jesus is driving out demons, driving out demons, driving out demons again and proclaiming the gospel uh, and there and in all the readings we're getting this uh, emphasis that while the devil's work is undone god is the doer through our mighty savior jesus christ god's might and power are on display for us great and we'll be focusing on that throughout the readings um John, could you give us a little summary, a synopsis of the first reading and the gospel before we get to the first Peter reading for our sermon text today? Yeah, thanks, John. Both uh, the first reading and the second reading, the one for our sermon text for today, are, are new to us uh, in Wells, uh, at least for the uh, for this Sunday in the church year. And and I think uh, our first reading, Isaiah 40, I, I think we're familiar seeing it verses 28 to 31, but but uh, the reading today uh, starts actually at verse uh, 27, um, which is the, the question, why, why the complaining and why do you say my way is hidden from the Lord? And then, then Isaiah's answer with that beautiful uh, truth that the Lord gives strength to the weary and use grow tired and weary, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. I think it ties in with the theme um, as, as uh, Satan continues to do his work. Um, where we find our strength and where we find our hope and that promise we will soar on wings um, like eagles. Uh, the the gospel uh, from Mark chapter one, um, I think last week we had tackled, uh, last couple of weeks we had tackled the gospel for the sermon reading and, and Jesus is continuing um, into the home of Simon, uh, Simon's mother-in-law and that healing. And then, and then Jesus going to that solitary, uh, place to pray and uh, and uh, and us too um, as we get into our reading for today and the battle that is happening this quiet time alone 
um, with Jesus. And then Jesus is right back up and preaching and driving out demons. This is what um, he's come to to do. Uh, all in all, the Lord uh, has appeared to undo the devil's work. We see that in the auxiliary readings for today. Thank you. Um, yeah, and maybe I could just mention what we had chatted about uh, before we started our recording today. First um, Peter 5, 6 to 11 does appear in the Easter season um, in year A. Am I right about that? Um, in the seventh Sunday of Easter. Yeah. So there in that uh, Easter season year A, there's a series of readings from First Peter. Um, but I think the duplication here um, really fits well with this gospel of the day. Um, and um, as we mentioned uh, kind of before, there is a, a custom in many churches to observe the ascension of our Lord on the seventh Sunday of Easter. And so you don't get to the uh, Easter seven reading sometimes. So here's an opportunity to feature this first Peter reading if that happened uh, to have been your custom and, and it got skipped over um, in previous years. Um, so, uh, yeah, very valuable for us to take a look at this and once again witness our Savior's power over the forces of evil and uh, the foe that we are facing. Um, let's go then to uh, you, Bill. Uh, could you get our sermon text discussion started? Just sharing some comments, highlights of 1 Peter 5, 6 to 11 with preachers. Sure. Uh, first of all, just for background, remember that 1 Peter is written uh, by Peter to Christians who are living in Asia Minor. They seem to be going through persecution. Um, so much of the letter is really an encouragement uh, for them to stay faithful and strong. And the uh, earlier part of the letter uh, focuses well on Christ's uh, act of sacrifice on our behalf. The end of chapter 2 uh, has some beautiful references to Isaiah 53 and how uh, Christ has paid for all of our sins. Uh, we are like sheep going astray, uh, but he uh, has returned us uh, to uh, himself, to God. Um, this comes toward the end, and what I find intriguing about this text is that there are really three people in uh, focus, or three groups in focus. It's the believers, and then Satan, but finally Christ, uh, who gives us uh, the strength to overcome. And as in the letter in general, there are a lot of imperatives uh, in this section of First Peter, where Peter is giving the people commands to be humble, to be alert, uh, to be sober-minded. Um, but what's interesting to me is in the middle then comes, uh, the devil comes up in uh, verse uh, 8, the second half of verse 8, in which he's characterized as this prowling lion. That's, that's why Peter wants us to be alert and uh, be watchful. Um, but then the, the text ends with, but this is what God has done for you and what God will do for you, uh, that Christ will give you the strength. He will make you firm, uh, strong, and steadfast. So even though there's a lot of imperatives in the text, uh, giving commands to the people, it ends with these gospel words of comfort that it's all about what Christ will do. He'll give you the strength to overcome Satan. 
Thank you. Yeah, that's a good division of the text, I think, uh, focusing on the believers, then the warnings against Satan, and then uh, the beautiful promises that conclude um, the the section here and the little word of doxology at the very end. Um, so uh, let's talk about kind of law and gospel themes in this text. Um, as you look at this, uh, what are you uh, keying off of as you uh, highlight uh, the problem we have with our flesh, with sin, um, what is this text bringing out um, and confronting our listeners with this week? How would you express that? Phil? Maybe we can drill down into it more <clears throat> specifically, but I, you know, Bill's explanation is nice just for thinking about the players. And when we get verbs like humble yourselves or be humbled or, um, and imperatives, you know, there's this sense of what I am to do. And humbled in particular gives me a sense or a reflection on myself and my own importance over against the people around me, the situations that I'm in, the devil as my enemy, or God himself. Um, and so maybe, I don't know if I would, if I would center on pride but at least that juxtaposition between me and everything else, I think, is a center point in the, the law proclamation. Okay. Um, John, any thoughts on uh, preaching the law from this text, or what might you focus on? Yeah, uh, thanks, John. I'm always a little uh, nervous uh, when it uh, comes to uh, something that, that hits at anxiety or worry, whether that comes out in our hymnody or in our, in our preaching, you know, knowing, uh, knowing what some people bear with them, um, uh, the, the anxiety that they, that they carry around. And so maybe, uh, as I preach the law there, uh, the note of the, the, some things that I bring on to myself, um, because of, as Phil alluded to, uh, my pride or my self-sufficiency or my unwillingness um, to, to follow with Jesus into that quiet place of prayer, as we heard in our gospel, or, or, hey, this is actually, uh, you know, this is work uh, battling um, Satan and, and how often I try to do that uh, apart from the Christ um, and his promises um, for me. And so um, I think this preaches to the one um who is uh who tends towards being anxious but but also who tends towards being prideful um as pride comes before um the fall so mm -hmm. yeah so maybe a, a a tendency to um turn inward and look to ourselves um in these different situations or under these different spiritual pressures which only compounds the problem uh bill yeah i think uh, at first that those first two verses don't seem to fit together, you know, humble yourself and then cast your anxiety. But I guess at times we as preachers have to point out to people, if we think that we can fix all of our situations or we can defend ourselves against the devil, that really is a prideful thought. And the fact that we continue to worry over something and I've got to fix it, um, that, that's a problem that needs to be uncovered in the sermon, and uh, it needs to be pointed out to people that that is a prideful thing. And 
the the relief though comes so quickly you know verse seven is so short cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you you know that the the gospel solution is there uh so quickly for you yeah yeah phil i that word um meli in seven i don't remember where i read that and uh, so i'll just venture it and tell me if i'm a dummy because it's not true uh but i had read somewhere that you know like you compare christianity to religions of the world and uh either it is only here mm -hmm. or it is not present often elsewhere that the gods or the deities or the overarching figure has any care about you um and yet as bill rightly said like here's the deal <laughs> god <laughs> himself the mighty one it, it matters to him your your struggles your fears your things right right john yeah and uh maybe there the uh thought that pricks my conscience um how often we 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 get this and and uh we we know that he cares for us but but how often we live as if he doesn't um with the things that we would worry about and the things that we would chase after and uh and as uh, Bill rightfully pointed out, it's such a short, beautiful verse dripping with comfort uh, because he cares for you. Um, and Lord, have mercy for how often is I how often I've lived as if that wasn't the case. Yeah, yeah, right. And it becomes, as we said, yeah, kind of a matter of pride um, uh, when we shoulder the weight ourselves maybe thinking that we can carry it or, or solve the issues ourselves. Um, yeah, so I, I'm guessing for gospel, at least in that, that first section, uh, kind of the counterpoint to what we've been discussing, an emphasis on he cares for you. Yeah, Phil, you said it well. Uh, this is just uh, what a profound thought that the God of the universe, um, we are of concern to him. Um, yeah, he we matter to him. Uh, we're relevant to him. Uh, and yeah, what what comfort that brings, Phil? To that, um, and maybe maybe in the transition to the gospel, um, and I think the other aspect of the the law and the difficulty here is then in my suffering and my self centeredness. You know, how, however we drill into that, <laughs> um, as we've all talked about thus far, it maybe also is missing the the reality of the situation that in eight the real enemy is mm -hmm. the devil and he's my adversary your enemy um and and i like to you know think of him like i think of like that there's a dumb netflix show called lucifer where you like to think of the devil as the anti-hero or something you know we're, we're just tempted not to think of him that way or as that as the real battle um, we need somebody far greater than ourselves. Yeah, and that'll be something that for preachers to consider how you want to um, group these different thoughts together. Um, yeah, dealing with uh, the carrying the weight of anxiety, maybe because of, of a, a pride of self-sufficiency, and that maybe goes hand in hand with um, verse 8, uh, underestimating 
the devil's uh, threat level um, that that's there um, and his uh, evil intentions for us could go all yeah together in some ways. John, I think the uh, the earlier verses of this chapter appear uh, in one of the Pentecost uh, lectionaries uh, um, in that long green season, um, focusing on the gift of of ministry. And I guess these words resonate. Uh, my uh, uncle, retired pastor, preached. Uh, off of these words at my ordination, but to hear, to hear the comfort here um, in the context of you know verse four, who your chief shepherd is, and it's Christ, mm-hmm. and the Lord has actually brought you into this place, uh, the Holy Christian Church, the this community, and um, just how much strength is found for you um, there as you battle the adversary who wants you. And and the battles are coming fierce and from every side. Well, well, you're on the victorious side, and and for us fights the valiant one. And so, um, I there's a whole lot of comfort uh, for me there as preacher, but also as hearer of these words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good connection there, pointing out the preceding context, and yeah, it does give us a new view of these uh, familiar words. Um, yeah. Bill, uh, adding some thoughts on law and gospel in the text? Yeah, I wanted to point out in verse 8 to what the devil is called, that antidikos, you know, you, you see the word DK in there, justice, you know, you have the courtroom scene, and he's anti you, you know, he's he's against you. And I can't help but think of uh, Satan coming to God at the beginning of the book of Job, you know, and speaking against Job. Um, and you feel so sorry for Job because he never gets to see the courtroom scene. He doesn't know what's going on in the heavenly realm. And this all comes down upon him. I think that reminds us that at times, you know, we can't see our adversary, the devil. And so we can be kind of uh, naive. Uh, we can be uh, very nonchalant. Um, but my goodness, this this is an enemy who who tries to convict us in God's courtroom. And besides that, he's like a lion roaring around uh, trying to eat me. You know, my goodness, be on your guard. No wonder Peter's putting so many imperatives in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just being real about the 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 force that's there uh, in that word enemy. And then, of course, the lion imagery, too, looking for someone to devour. John? Um, I just, uh, you know, sometimes in pastoral care uh, and you're you're working with folks and they'll say something like, well, it's OK, Pastor, it could be worse. You know, I know some other people have it worse. And and notice how Peter uh, brings in the sufferings of of others. Uh, mm-hmm. He refers right to the family of believers, but not in a not in a sort of way that makes you say, well, it could be worse for me. Um, but as a reason to stand firm, because I know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And, and so how is that supposed to comfort me? Well, as God has done for them, so he also has promised to do for me. And then it goes to, you know, to verse 10 and, you know, the God of all grace. And just let that drip on your hearers, um, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Um, uh, th- this is your strength for battling Satan. This is where it's at when you feel opposed on on every side. You know, I, there's probably a sermon and and the God of all grace. Sure, yeah, Phil. 
Yeah, verse 10 is just uh, full of, I mean, John started it, Bill mentioned it earlier, just full of comfort for everything that shifts and changes for me or that seems to last forever. Um, all the sufferings that I face or the troubles that I bear. Uh, at the end of verse 10, you know, what will God do? He will do this. He will do this. He will. It's all these four future tenses in a row. Um, his, his activity is so firm and certain and sure. Uh, actually, gospel-wise, I like in verse 10, you know, if you just look at it in Greek, um, it's the starts with, right, the God of all grace, the one who called you into eternal glory, the, the kind that's in Christ Jesus. And then it's like two, literally two words. After a little suffering, he's going to do this and this and this. And it's like all of the experience I have uh, is just sandwiched in God's grace. You know, like he just mm -hmm. wraps me up in it. Yeah. I think there's even a little gospel in that oligon too. I mean, when you're suffering, uh, and I'm sure these early believers suffering for Christ uh, probably thought it was interminable. You know, this is never going to end. And but to the God of all grace and and power, uh, no, th this is not forever. Uh, I've set limits on it, uh, Bill. Uh, yeah, and that seems to be a theme that Peter started with, and now he's returning to it, because you may remember that at the beginning of the letter, uh, he says, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Um, and uh, the other theme that I would say should really go with that in the sermon is this uh, idea of God's power. Because in the in those opening verses, uh, it's you are shielded by God's power. And now he's returning to that idea of power. It's the thing that he leaves off with at the end of the text. You know, to him be power forever. You might expect one of those regular doxologies where it's glory, but rather it's power. And um, it's kind of interesting, too, that the text starts out with that same uh, related word, kratayan. There it's the, um, the adjective form of it, but humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Um, you know, his hand is so powerful that he can just put it over you and you are shielded. So don't be afraid to humble yourself. Don't be afraid to empty yourself. Uh, God's got this. And it's his power, along with his grace, that's going to accomplish your well-being. Great. Yeah, that is that theme of power does run through the text and would be interesting one to pick up on. Um, yeah, uh, humbling ourselves under God's powerful hand, but also it's the same power of God um, that lifts us up and makes us strong, firm, and steadfast. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, your thoughts on so there's a lot going on in this text. I mean, a lot of powerful images. Um, the word pictures are just jumping out at us, and they're they're numerous and vivid. Um, how do you uh, or what advice do you have for preachers about kind of tying things together in one unified message? Um, what might be some possibilities for that? Um, Phil? 
I have only preached on this text once, and it was at a funeral. Um, and then I took the route of saying, uh, cast all your cares on the Lord, and kind of running it through in, uh, obviously it's in a funeral, so we had a gentleman who passed away after a long, long stay in a mental care facility, dementia, and he was a brilliant man in his life. And, you know, so like everything that he had power-wise had just dwindled away. Um, but luckily, blessedly, God cares. And all the cares and worries we could have would go on him. You know, so you could take that path. Um, all the sins I have, cast them on him. And then it, it turns out in God's great plan that he is the one who cares for us. And so that'd be more that... Um, worry and rather than the power although i think that that is a pretty powerful way to do this yeah yeah john um interestingly enough the one time i've preached uh, these words was also at a funeral um for a man in his young 20s um who uh, had died from a from a disease and um you know that's uh the paul bears were the baseball team you know his old high school baseball team and uh a captive audience and your, your pastoral heart just hurting for them. Um, but I think this, this connects um, historically, contextually, you know, why was Peter encouraging the church at that time and the battles they were facing? I think your, your listeners will draw in on the edge of their seats um, as you draw them into the struggle that is real and the struggle that is fierce um, and the law preaches uh, where we've looked for our hope um, and comfort and reliance in the wrong places, this is not going to, this is not going to work dear Christian. Um, but then to, to just drip God's promises as St. Peter does on, on the, the first century readers, uh, the, what he has in store for you um, and that strong um, conclusion that that doxology is he's worthy of every every word of it. So, yeah, did I answer your question, Professor Mitchell? <laughs> These are good ideas, I think, as as preachers wrestle with how to how do you kind of put together a, a coherent message based on just all the powerful ideas going on here in the text. Uh, Bill, another suggestion? I think to unify, I'd uh, focus in on the idea of strength and perhaps, uh, I don't know if this would be a three-part sermon, but um, don't be afraid to admit you are weak. Your enemy, he's a big talker. He's got some powerful words, but it really is your God who is your strength. Right, right. Yeah, and and his strength uh, overcomes even the strength that that uh, the devil is pictured as having here. Um, mm -hmm. Phil, yeah, you know, if I was going to do something not parted but inductive or something like that, you know, as Bill was talking before, uh, and he mentioned the kind of strange doxology, I think that could be a sermon theme. A strange doxology. Now, God's word of glory about my life is not in my own strength. And I want to find words of praise and power and glory in what I do, but it turns out that I'm a wreck. And I have an enemy who's crazy mighty, 
and dangerous, but I have a God who is full of grace. Um, and in the end, we end with this strange doxology that is to him be the power because I need it to bring a mighty salvation and mm -hmm. all those things. Um, I was thinking if it's not the trouble, just uh, <laughs> Bill's, Bill's talking before reminded me of an illustration. Um, who is it? Who is the author of the one inch punch? You remember that? Is it Bruce Lee? You know what I'm talking about? I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the one inch punch, he could put his his fingers up against your chest and then retract him in a fist and knock you over with a punch from that distance. Very, very short distance. Um, and I would your your comment, Bill, made me laugh like who's ever afraid of a hand? I'd be afraid of Bruce Lee's hand, uh, one inch punch man. He could knock me out with that thing from an inch away. And actually, we have a God who has might that is far greater than that. He covers us with his hand. And, you know, we're totally safe. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've in the past, I've, I've not preached on this text, you know, because it, it is kind of new to the lectionary. But I've done uh, the bigger section that included verses from chapter four. Um, but it kind of brought it together, uh, saying these are the twin realities of the Christian life. Uh, God lets us suffer and God makes us strong, kind of, you know, putting things together in the, under those two headings, because you have both of them here in the text, um, uh, the suffering that we are aware of as we humble ourselves, you know, some we bring on ourselves by our own sin as we humble ourselves and confess that, or yeah, maybe it's the uh, anxiety we experience largely because we're pridefully taking things on ourselves um, rather than uh letting God be our God, um, uh, or maybe it's the uh, the opposition we face in a sinful world or the attacks of the devil. Uh, these are realities in a believer's life. But then pointing out all of the ways that God's strength is portrayed here, or uh, he cares for you, or um, uh, the family of believers going through this too, and God is strengthening them, all the things we've mentioned. Um, so that might be one, one approach to uh, might give some thought to uh john another suggestion yeah my suggestion was uh phil's uh his illustrations are much more sanctified than mine i was thinking uh you know suffering a little while you know going to school with a bunch of packer fans you know i mean it's just a little while that you have to suffer in such a way you know but uh, <laughs> right. um i you know for illustrative purposes just glancing at the commentary on the proffers you know the the suggested hymn of the day um, it is well with my soul and um, and an alternate hymn of the day is why should cross and trial grieve me. So I think a preacher could find um, some illustrative weight uh, uh, in uh, in those hymns and others like them. Yeah, those hymns are the, the composers, uh, hymn writers stories behind each of them are both pretty fascinating. Uh, Phil. I was thinking, too, um, we passed over it before. I don't know if we talked about. Uh, you know, in his own time in verse six. And in looking yeah. at this earlier today, I quickly thought of the connection that's there in the gospel where, you know, Jesus definitely has his timeline. And how many times was it? 36 of Mark one, Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everybody's looking for you. You know, where Simon, where Peter had his own timeline on how he thought things ought to go. And that's the guy who ends up here going, you know, God has his own timeline where he's going to take you out of suffering, manage these things. Um, we could fall into that same kind of trap. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Our timeline versus God's um, maybe different things. Um, yeah. Anything uh, in terms of well, we mentioned a couple of good illustrations here. Any others that come to mind that uh, you have used? And maybe it's even in the context of, of teaching these verses. I know this is probably a verse you cover uh, in confirmation class at some point, even um, talking about Jesus' power over the devil or any others that might be useful for preachers. Bill? An illustration that once occurred to me when we were doing a building project in Citrus Heights, we had to plant a bunch of young trees and uh, the guy in charge of the project really knew how to handle those kind of things. So he put the stakes around them and the bands around the tree, these little saplings to hold them, because when they're that young, they can easily get blown over by a wind and just snap off. But that the, the band that's around them gradually has to be loosened in order for the tree to get used to the wind and become mature to the point where it can stand on its own. Mm -hmm. And God is so often letting us, you know, letting the devil breathe his, his murderous threats at us because we've got to, um, you know, we have to become mature in the faith, but it's, you know, him strengthening us, sending the moisture from underneath to make the tree grow and make it mature so that it can stand. So just put up with that little while while you have to go through these sufferings. Yeah, right. After you've suffered a little while, uh, God is going to restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And maybe that's part of the bigger picture of making us strong, firm, and steadfast. Of course, that's via his spirit, through word, through sacrament. But also this growth process might involve um, the suffering itself as, as part of the big picture, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that good illustration to bring that across. Yeah. Um, Bill, I think you mentioned it before, the uh, the roaring lion looking for someone to devour and, and maybe not taking that seriously, how um, much of an enemy um, the devil is. That uh, makes me recall, first of all, probably the lion here is maybe not, you know, cool lion king lion. It's more like the mountain lion, you know, these fierce uh, predators. Um, although, yeah, you know, African lions on the savanna uh, are that too. Um, but I remember um, as uh, uh, taking a young family on a camping trip and we were in Northern California and, um, you know, I had heard about mountain lions before. Uh, but then we wanted to take our little kids, you know, some of them toddlers on a walk in a trail kind of in the mountains. And at the trailhead, there was a sign saying, OK, there are mountain lions here. Here's what to do if you see one. Um, and it wasn't probably until that moment that I kind of realized, yeah, that these these creatures are real and they pose a real threat. Um, I think we decided to take a different trail at that point and not take the toddlers on the mountain lion trail. But you know, there are moments in life, life where, um, yeah, as we said, you know, the devil becomes not just a, an anti-hero or kind of a mythical figure, but the presence is very real and, and we sense that. Um, and it's then we kind of sense our own weakness too. But God's mighty hand is stronger. Phil? Just to tack on the back end of that, I, um, I don't know if you remember Steve Irwin, like the crocodile hunter guy zoologist whatever and i think those are moments too where like the wildness of animals actually becomes real because you see someone who deals with them all the time and that's how they die 
you know, he got stung by a stingray, but like lions, crocodiles, they're, they're arbitrary. They're just going to rip you up sooner or later. And that's your enemy. Don't want to mess around with that. Right. The devil has no scruples. However, he'll, whatever works, uh, uh, whatever tactic, he'll use it because his intent is to destroy um, and rip us away from God and his grace. Um, one more thing I just just comes to mind, and I think John alluded to this before, uh, talking about verse 7, and cast all your anxiety on him, and just maybe having a pastoral sensitivity to those who struggle with uh, maybe a clinical anxiety or something like that. Um, I've learned, you know, just not to be, uh, to take that very seriously, um, not to be too flippant about verses like this too, um, as if someone who struggles with chronic anxiety, maybe very debilitating, um, as if, you know, uh, you know, like, haven't you heard this verse before? You're supposed to cast your anxiety on on the Lord. Well, of course, of course they have, but it, it, there's more to it than that. And God working through vocations of mental health professionals and, and people like that are going to be uh, assisting them too. So not to minimize that type of anxiety, um, but also you, you, along those lines, um, I've kind of learned instead of, you know, to emphasize, cast your anxiety, here's what you need to do, uh, really emphasize the latter part of that verse. Um, he cares for you. Uh, just bring that across, that gospel truth. No, it's not going to relieve someone's um, deep anxiety if that's what they're suffering instantaneously, but that's where the strength is found. It's really in he cares for you um, and the love that's there. So, um, anything further, uh, whether you've got theme ideas or further application thoughts or illustration thoughts, anything else uh, for preachers that um, comes to mind? Um, yeah, I would say, remember also the other readings that are there and, and tapping into some of those, um, coordinating some of those ideas. Uh, as we often say on the podcast, the challenge here is there's so much rich material and so many uh, vivid images in the text. Um, it's hard to to narrow things down. Um, but yeah, bring across that gospel truth that no matter what we face, uh, the opposition we face, the care, the love, the power, the God of all grace, his mighty hand um, lifting us up, making us strong, firm, and steadfast. These are the gospel truths um, that are our epiphanies for this Sunday. God bless you, preachers, as you proclaim that good news.